Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is November 21st. I'm Carolina Rosario. These are today's headlines. Two more witnesses taking the stand on Capitol Hill, further implicating the president. One of those, Fiona Hill, suggesting the idea that Ukraine and not Russia conducted a campaign against the U.S. is a fictional narrative. Democrats taking the stage in Atlanta, arguing over policy differences but remaining united over the impeachment inquiry of President Trump. And a teenager was arrested near San Diego for allegedly smuggling drugs into the United States. But it's how he did it that's raising eyebrows. These and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. It's the fifth day of public impeachment hearings. Today, two more witnesses appear before Congress, both testifying about the unusual circumstances in which the holdup of aid for Ukraine occurred. This after European Union Ambassador Gordon Sundland made damning statements against President Trump. Lorraine Cassidis has all the latest. On Thursday, two key U.S. diplomats for Ukraine giving their insightful perspective on the matter concerning the inquiry. Dr. Fiona Hill saying Russians have achieved their goal of creating a hostile political environment in the U.S., putting to rest the rumors that initiated Trump's interest in an investigation by Ukrainians in the first place. Based on questions and statements I've heard, some of you on this committee appear to believe that Russia and its security services did not conduct a campaign against our country, and that perhaps, somehow, for some reason, Ukraine did. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. David Holmes, stationed at the embassy in Kyiv, testified he overheard a conversation between EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland, President Trump's point person in Ukraine, and the president after a meeting with one of President Zelensky's advisors, in which Sondland told Trump the Ukraine president would do anything he asked him to do. I then heard President Trump ask, so he's going to do the investigation. Ambassador Sondland replied that he's going to do it, adding that President Zelensky will do anything you ask him to do. And Ambassador Sondland stated that the president only cares about big stuff. I noted there was big stuff going on in Ukraine, like a war with Russia. And Ambassador Sondland replied that he meant big stuff that benefits the president, like the Biden investigation that Mr. Giuliani was pushing. Earlier Wednesday, Sondland, who Republicans thought would be a witness on their side, defied the president, declaring there was a quid pro quo. Was there a quid pro quo? With regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. Adding the so-called three amigos were acting on orders from the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, at the direction of President Trump. Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volker, and I worked with Mr. Rudy Giuliani on Ukraine matters at the express direction of the President of the United States. We did not want to work with Mr. Giuliani. We followed the president's orders. He said they pressured Ukraine to investigate the president's rivals using a coveted White House meeting as leverage. Sondland said he came to believe that the $400 million in military aid was also conditioned on that announcement, but clarifying he never actually heard that directly from President Trump. Later Wednesday, top Pentagon official Laura Cooper saying Ukrainians knew of problems with their military aid on July 25th, the same day Presidents Trump and Zelensky spoke. I would say that specifically the Ukrainian embassy staff asked what is going on with 
Ukrainian security assistance. For now, no more public testimonies are scheduled, but a judge has said she intends to rule by Monday night on whether or not former White House counsel Don McGahn must testify under subpoena to Congress. Back to you, Carolina. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. The impeachment showdown took center stage at last night's Democratic debate in Atlanta. Ten candidates facing off on a wide range of issues from health care to foreign policy. Carolina Sarasa takes a look at some of those key moments of the debate. The top Democratic candidates coming together in Atlanta, agreeing on key issues and saving their fire for the president instead of each other. We have a criminal living in the White House. All ten contenders united on the impeachment inquiry. This is a president that not only with regard to his conduct uh, with uh, Ukraine, uh, but every step of the way puts his own private interests, his own partisan interests, his own political interests in front of our country's interest. In the spotlight, Pete Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and the youngest candidate in the race, leading in a recent Iowa caucus poll, facing criticism about his lack of experience. He has said the right words, but I actually have the experience. Buttigieg also definitely fending off a similar attack from Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. One of the foreign leaders you mentioned meeting was Bashar al-Assad. I have, in my experience, enough judgment that I would not have sat down with a murderous dictator like that. I take the example of those leaders who have come before us, leaders like JFK, who met with Khrushchev, like Roosevelt, who met with Stalin, like, Donald like Trump, Reagan, who met, who met... Another standout, Senator Amy Klobuchar, lamenting the standards female candidates are held to. Women are held to a higher standard. Otherwise, we could play a game called Name Your Favorite Woman President, which we can't do because it has all been men. And if you think a woman can't beat Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi does it every single day. <laughs> Feeling the pressure on the debate stage yet again, former Vice President Joe Biden, who celebrated his 77th birthday on the debate stage, tried to play up his support with African-American voters, but stumbled. I come out of the black community in terms of my support. They know me. They know who I am. Three former chairs of the Black Caucus. The only African-American woman that ever been elected to the United States Senate. A whole range of people. No, my point no, is... That's not true. true. The other that's one is true. here. <laughs> I said the first. Thank I said the first African-American elected. Carolina Sarasa, U News. And important to mention that Hispanics are the largest group of eligible voters right now after white voters. So we are important. We have a voice. We need to go and vote. And earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with Democratic frontrunner Elizabeth Warren. We talk about Mexico's role in the drug trade, how a Warren administration would approach immigration and some of the turmoil impacting Latin America. Let's take a look. Do you think Mexico is a narco state? Oh, I, you know, I'm not sure how... That is a helpful approach. What I care about is that we need to work with the government of Mexico to deal with the problem we have on drugs that pass our border and help the state of Mexico, but also to help here in the United States. We have a serious problem 
Uh, and it is a problem between the two nations. Let's talk about immigration. Sure. Uh, I brought this picture that I wanted to show you. Uh, I don't know if you remember oh, that I photo. Do remember it's horrible. Uh, it's a, a, a dad and his Salvadorian baby. They were found dead in Rio Bravo. An example of all the immigrants that are come mm -hmm. to this country striving for a better future, and they found they found a brutal death or any other situations. Specifically, what are you going to do to avoid seeing more images like that? This is a horrible image, and I remember this and carry it in my heart, as do millions of people all around the world. Um, I have put together a comprehensive immigration plan that starts with expanding legal immigration so that we can help clear the backlog and reunite families. Would you close those centers? Would you stop deportations? So I think that we have got to stop the prosecution of people whose only crime is to have come across the border. Okay. In fact, I'm for decriminalization. We need to treat this as an immigration issue and people who pose no threat, who are here, who are our friends and neighbors, should be treated with respect and not deported from this country. Who shouldn't be allowing the country? So this is, we should expand legal immigration in this country. Let's go to Latin America. Uh, do uh -huh. you think Evo Morales, the ex-president of Bolivia, was removed in a democratic way? So it, it's clear that there's a problem because the election itself has been a problem. You know, I, I watch what's happening right now. Yeah. Do you think it was a democratic way or it was a coup? what happened in, in Bolivia? Well, you know, look, we had someone, or they had someone, who was running the country, uh, who was making some progress. But when the election, when it appears that the election is not supported, uh, then you've got a problem. And what I want to see is no violence, but everyone needs to be able to depend on free and fair elections. I support democracy whenever we see it. I want to ask you about Puerto Rico. I'm Puerto Rican, and I know Puerto Rico, I mean, you know, Puerto Rico has been stuck in an economic crisis without any economic growth in a decade. Mm -hmm. Do you think the island can solve its economic problems under the current colonial status that it has? So I think the question of whether or not Puerto Rico should change status is up to the people of Puerto Rico. And if Puerto Rico has a vote on that as president, I will fully support the decision of the people of Puerto Rico. According to Pew, Latinos are on track of becoming the largest share of non-white voters in yes. the United States for this election. And if we measure the amount of donations you have received from Latinos, you are in fourth place among all Democrats. Bernie Sanders leads that. Uh -huh. uh, what is your campaign doing to better communicate and engage with Hispanics? So uh, for me, this is about outreach in every possible way. It's about showing up at events. It's about having uh, the Latinx community represented in our leadership and doing a lot of outreach. Thanks to Elizabeth Warren for that interview for U News. And there's a new pressure for the United States to make a new trade deal with Mexico and Canada. A top U.S. trade representative is on Capitol Hill today meeting with Democratic lawmakers. Janet Rodriguez joins us from Washington, D.C. Janet, we just heard from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. What did she say? 
Well, she said that she is still negotiating with Representative Lighthizer and that there is no chance that this may be done before the end of the year. She casted a doubt that this could end in a vote before the legislative session ends here in about eight days. This is very worrisome for the White House. We do understand that there is still a group of progressive Democrats that are not ready to vote yes because they want to see more protection on the labor front, on the labor um, protections that are on this deal. However, the White House are blaming the Democrats, saying that they simply cannot chew, on, uh, chew gum and walk at the same time, that they're holding this vote because they have paralyzed the Congress with the impeachment hearings. And they don't want to extend this until the 2020 cycle because they believe that a deal may not pass during an election, a presidential election year. Earlier this week, we talked to some White House administration officials, and this is what they had to say. It would be an economic catastrophe for all three countries um, if this deal isn't put on the floor by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. All it needs to do is get to the floor of the House, it'll pass overwhelmingly, pass overwhelmingly in the Senate. It was over a year ago that Mexico and Canada and the United States agreed to the terms. And so we've had over a year to actually get this done. So we're very frustrated that it hasn't happened before, but yet we remain positive that it's going to still get done before the end of the year because we think that there's very little um, to, to still negotiate. And the president, the president did campaign on killing NAFTA and replacing it with a new deal that would be better for the economy and for U.S. workers. Now that deal is in danger if it doesn't get voted on before the end of the year. Carolina? And Janet, uh, this is the last day the House is in session before a week-long Thanksgiving break. There were hopes to strike a deal before now, so what's next? So what's next? They come back after Thanksgiving. They have another seven legislative days. Now we hear Pelosi saying that even if they come to an agreement within those days, they may not have enough time to get that vote on. We do, it on this. We do understand that if the House votes on that agreement, the Senate is ready to pass it and give it to the president for the signature before the end of 2019. But with those words from Nancy Pelosi today saying that they may not just have enough time, we do not know where that leaves, uh, leaves the deal for the 2019 or for the 2020 uh, presidential election and uh, for the legislative cycle. Back to you. And turning to Texas, where the federal government is moving to build President Trump's controversial border wall. Pedro Rojas reports that even though progress is being made, some local residents who are eager to see construction stopped are not yet ready to give up the fight. The federal government began the construction of new sections of the border wall in South Texas. The first barriers have already been installed in the town of Donna. The Border Patrol Behind chief in the area made location. an announcement highlighting the importance of the project. Behind me is a priority location for the new border wall system currently under construction. An official report indicates that the federal government has plans and a budget approved for the construction of 39 new miles of border wall in South Texas. The new acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, is visiting the state of Texas for three days, and as a part of his agenda, he will be visiting and inspecting the construction sites for the new sections of the border fencing. Another area where construction has already begun is in Fronton, Texas, west of McAllen, an area well known for the trafficking of drugs and undocumented immigrants. During a ride-along we did with a Border Patrol agent in the same area, we found several alleged members of organized criminal groups in Mexico 
watching from their side of the border. They are never there just waiting. They remain there because they are waiting for people who will be trying to cross, Agent Marlene Castro says. This is the beginning of an eight-mile expansion of the border wall here in South Texas. In another area by the South Texas border, where an indigenous cemetery is located, activists have been camping now for over a year to prevent any land from being disturbed from the construction of a new border wall. Why are we going to let them move our loved ones? Some of them serve in the U.S. armed forces. What honor are we giving them by moving their remains, Ruth Garcia says. Attorneys that represent some of the indigenous families are denouncing the presence of more government contractors doing soil testing and the fact that some landowners have received letters from the government requesting access to their properties. And Donna, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. And we are learning more about a teenager who has been arrested by federal agents at the U.S.-Mexico border near San Diego. The teen is alleged to have been smuggling drugs into the U.S. But as Jaime Garcia explained, it is how he did it that is raising eyebrows. Drug dealers in their ongoing quest to fool the security at the border have found another ingenious way to smuggle drugs into the United States. Border Patrol agents in San Diego arrested a young minor who was using this remote control car to receive packages with methamphetamines at the border between Tijuana and San Diego. The suspect that was arrested was a 16-year-old uh, young man, a U.S. citizen, uh, was found with just over 50 pounds of methamphetamine and the RC car in two duffel bags. These types of remote controls car have powerful electric engines that give them Notable abilities to navigate trenches and gaps. The operator in Mexico put the RC car through the bollards. There is about a four to five inch gap in between the bollards on the wall. We suspect that the operator put the RC car through the wall, set it on the ground, put the drugs on top of the RC car, operated it to the secondary wall where the 16-year-old uh, young man would pick up the drugs and several trips with the RC car. At the time of the arrest, the agency sees a total of 55 packages with the drug, with an estimated street value of more than $106,000. This is the first time we've seen an RC car being used for uh, drug smuggling here in San Diego. These drug smugglers work around midnight, and the Border Patrol estimates that they have made 50 trips using the remote control car between one side of the border and the other. In San Diego, California, Jaime Garcia, U News. In Venezuela, state authorities are increasing pressure on independent media and journalists. Authorities recently confiscating equipment from a digital news site and arresting reporters amid a growing wave of threats to the free exercise of journalism. Gisel Robles has the story. Not only on the headquarters of opposition political parties, but also targeting online media that criticizes Nicolás Maduro's administration. On Thursday, authorities confiscated equipment from digital news agency Entorno Digital, arresting one of its managers. There is a public policy aimed to inhibit the media through this persecution and harassment. The company was practically shut down, and even the news teams that were covering the raid got arrested. One of the reporters was accused of acts of terrorism. I'm super nervous, my God, but how many bombs did I make? The media covered the arrest. Hours later, they were released. On Saturday, a threatening anonymous video circulated on social networks exposing the faces of six journalists to public humiliation, accusing them of being enemies of the revolution. 
Mildred Manrique was one of the journalists exposed in that video that began to circulate first on social networks associated with the police, the military, and even with vigilante groups of the ruling party in a clear act of intimidation. Being a civilian, you don't know who to watch out for, a policeman or a guard. We're against the wall. They even tracked the movements of some of the reporters highlighted in the video. Unidentified vehicles without license plate were following Colombian journalist Beatriz Adrián from the TV station Caracol in what seems to be an attempt by the government to increase the pressure on foreign journalists. It is obvious that there is intimidation so that one stops covering news or leaves the country. In fact, more than a dozen foreign correspondents have been detained or expelled from the country by authorities throughout 2019. Reported in Caracas, Venezuela, by Francisco Ureistieta. This is Giselle Robles for U News. And six people are reported to have died following clashes near a major gas plant in Alto, Bolivia. Morales defenders and residents from surrounding areas gathered to protest military violence near the plant on Wednesday. What do the protesters want? The return of unseated leader Evo Morales. Meanwhile, Morales is accusing the interim government of using excessive force against peaceful protesters at a news conference in Mexico City. He showed a video of dead Bolivians with bloodied faces, saying they had been shot by soldiers. Morales has talked about returning to finish his term until January 22nd, but said he had been told that the United States did not want him to go back to Bolivia. And in Mexico, an oil pipeline facility owned by Mexican state own petroleum company Pemex caught fire near the town of Tetepango in the state of Hidalgo. It took firefighters 10 hours Wednesday to bring the fire under control with up to 200 residents in surrounding communities evacuated. A fuel pipeline explosion in Hidalgo killed 91 in January this year after hundreds of people rushed to collect fuel from, from uh, the pipeline after police say it was punctured by suspected thieves. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The CDC says at least 17 people have been infected by E. coli in eight states. Seven people have been hospitalized because of the infection. Two of the hospitalized patients developed a type of kidney failure associated with the bacteria. Luckily, no deaths have been reported. The CDC is investigating products that may be connected to the outbreak. And if you, if you shop at Fresh Markets, uh, listen up. Health officials are looking into an outbreak of hepatitis A. The cause? Blackberries, specifically the non-organic kind purchased between September 9th and September 30, 30th. The berries come from a company that ships to the grocery chain in 11 states. So far, people in three states, Indiana, Nebraska, and Wisconsin, have gotten sick after eating the berries. 
Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.